We're going to have a lot to talk about as far as issues that come up when you talk about Acts chapter 10 and Cornelius and all that. Um, Up until this point, up until this point, we've seen the promises of Israel being fulfilled, right? You've seen Peter standing up at Pentecost and telling them, you know... uh, this, these are the promises of the Old Testament that Jesus would come, and the Messiah would come, and He would, uh, the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh, and all, all that kind of stuff. So we've seen that the promises getting fulfilled, and then even up to this point, we've also seen that God has started accepting all kinds of people. It's not just Israel that we're talking about anymore. He accepted. The Samaritans, remember when Philip went and preached to them, he accepted Saul, who was the public enemy number one, uh, and he accepted the Ethiopian eunuch, who was nowhere even close to nowhere even close to an Israelite. Well, in this section, this is chapter ten is kind of a turning point in in Acts, where he's going to the doors are going to blow open, and he's going to start accepting all the Gentiles. Not that he didn't accept them before. There's you know instances of Gentiles being saved and and being brought into Israel throughout the Old Testament. But uh, here in the Old Testament, if you were a Gentile and you wanted to be saved, come to God, you had to come to Israel. You had to come be a Jew. You had to come be circumcised and be part of the deal. Well, now we're going to see all that's going to go away, and now you can come to God just as a Gentile without going through Judaism first. Uh, and so. All this centers around a Roman centurion, which is his name's Cornelius. And so uh, Peter's going to get sent to him and they're going to uh, they, they're going to be saved while Peter's actually talking. But we're probably not even going to get that far today because there's a lot of questions that we have to answer about who this guy was and what his relationship with God was before we get there. Um, if we just start reading. Verse 1 says, uh, 1 and 2 will say, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, uh, a devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Now, there there is a a category of Gentile that's in in the Bible over and over again. It's called God-fearers. And these are not Israelites. They're not even... Uh, a Gentile that wanted to be part of Israel would come in and they would call him a proselyte. There was somebody that was converted to, to uh, Judaism. Uh, Cornelius wasn't even that. Uh, he was a Gentile who was, he, he feared the God of Israel. He worshiped the God of Israel. He prayed to the God of Israel, but he wasn't circumcised. He wasn't part of the temple ritual. He wasn't part of the uh, part of Judaism. Uh, these people, they called, they're called God-fearers. We'll see it again in Acts. There, I think Lydia was a God-fearer, and, and th- that's just the, the term that they use for him, that he, he wasn't, he wasn't, a Jewish person as far as, you know, been converted to the Jewish faith, but he understood that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the only true God, that he prayed to that God. He probably did the the fasts and the feasts, uh, you know, in his own way. He probably prayed during the, there were times of the day where you prayed if you were a Jew and 
he did all those things, but he wasn't circumcised, wasn't part of the covenant, you know, didn't take the covenant sign, didn't go to, you know, the wasn't allowed in the temple, but so far, you know, and so he, he worshiped the God of Israel and he understood that this is the only true God. And that's a big thing for a Roman soldier. A lot of people don't realize, but Roman soldiers were probably the most, you know, uh, I, I can say it this way, religious people that there was. They believed in all kinds of gods, all kinds of deities. They, they, uh, that's where, if you ever heard the, the god Mithra, you know, that was one of the main gods that Roman soldiers prayed to. Of course, they prayed to lots of different gods. Uh, so for this centurion to understand that there was no god but this one god, and this one god was God Almighty, and to worship and serve this god was, it, it, it was a big thing. And so it says... <clears throat> It says that he was he was doing all these things. He was a devout man. That means he was God fear and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He was doing the things that made you a good Jewish person. If you're a good Jewish person, you gave alms to the poor. You prayed, did the three times a day prayers. You did the things that we're supposed to do. Um, now here's where we here's where we come and <clears throat> we 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 ask ourselves the first question. It says. He saw in a vision, <coughs> excuse me, he saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day. Anybody know when the ninth hour is? We've said it before. It's three o'clock. That's right. Ninth hour of the day, uh, the angel <coughs> that's... Uh, he saw in a vision, evidently, evidently it's clearly, about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming in to him, saying to him, Cornelius, when he looked up, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thy alms are come up for a memorial before God. And then he told him, Now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. Uh, and he told him where he was. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, here's the question that always comes up, and people use Cornelius as a test case uh, for this question all the time. Uh, did God appear to Cornelius and give him the vision telling him what to do uh, because uh, Cornelius <clears throat> was a good man that was working uh, hard enough to earn God's favor? That was a question. Houston says no. Okay. If you yes, if you know if you've been in this class any time at all, you probably should say no. But my question is why? Because this is the verse that everybody's going to use. You see, uh, in fact, he says, <clears throat> listen, it says he lodges with Simon the Tanner. Uh, he called blah 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 blah. Let, go down to. Uh, He says, thy prayers, in verse 4, it says, thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. It almost sounds like the angel saying, the reason that I'm coming to you and the reason that we're going to uh, uh, dis, you know, uh, give you this grace is because your prayers and your alms have come up before God. So how do we know, <clears throat> and you're correct, he didn't earn anything. How do we know that he, how, how, what would you say if somebody come up and said, well, see, there you go. It proves that if you do good, uh, God is going to, uh, God's going to give his grace to you because of your whatever, your prayers, your giving alms, your doing whatever. What would you say if somebody said, this is proof. See, look, Cornelius did good. He prayed, he gave alms, and therefore God saw that he was doing good and said, okay, I'm going to give you my grace because uh, you're such a good person. I would say that it's just more 
Well, he, he knows, I mean, he lives in Caesarea, which is predominantly Jewish, so he's been told about the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all that, and he's accepted that this is this is the true God. Yes? I think it's more of uh, the condition of his heart. The condition of his heart, okay, and that's the good. prayers that he may be praying, you know, it, you know, it, he's... He's probably along the lines of God's own heart in his in his in his heart in his prayers. Yeah, yeah, and <clears throat> I think that's right. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I can't get this get this throat cleared. Um, but he says it. Uh, what we're seeing here is God is God is revealing revealed Himself to Cornelius because Cornelius is seeking after God. Right now, if Cornelius is a recipient of God's grace because of the good that he does, what need is there for Peter to come to him? Why does God send Peter? That's kind of the, that's kind of the way that we should think about this. It says, it says that he says your 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 alms have I've seen them. They've come up for a memorial. Incidentally, by the way, uh, that word memorial is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to uh, talk about the sacrifices. You know, the sacrifices that they give to God as a memorial, as a moral sacrifice. He says, your prayers and your alms have come up to me for a memorial. He says, now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon. The tanner whose house is by the seaside and shall tell thee what thou oughtst to do. He says, you're going to send for, pre for Peter and he's going to tell you what to do. Now, if you look over, on oh mine it's the same page, but if you look over in chapter 11, verse 4, uh, what happens is we're going to see this story three or four times. Peter is going to recount the tale. Cornelius' men, they're going to come and tell Peter what Cornelius saw. Then Peter's going to go to his house and then later on he's going to come and tell the Jews what happened. And in, in chapter 11, Peter is telling... The sign language. Who knows how to sign? Anybody? Jim's not here. Yeah, Jim was those. We got a couple of them. Okay. Sorry. Um, and so, uh, what was I saying? Chapter 11 is Peter telling what happened to the Jewish people that were thinking he did wrong. And in verse 4, he says, But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order. And he says, I was in the city of Joppa praying. You know, no, no, no. And it says, uh, Oh, man, where is that? And I heard a voice arise to me. And it said, no, it's 14. It's not four, duh. And he says, this is what he said. The angel told Cornelius, who shall tell thee words? Look, 13. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said to him, send men to Joppa, call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. So Cornelius was not saved because he was a good man and he did alms. He did not earn God's favor by doing good and by doing good things. What he did was he responded to the light that he was given. Now, think about this for a minute. 
God, this is exposited, Romans chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. A lot of people will use this text, and this is the only reason why I'm stopping here and we're not going to get through the chapter, because you need to know this. A lot of people will use this text to say, you know what, all you really have to do is be sincere about God. You know, if, if, if you're a sincere Buddhist, you just be a sincere Buddhist and you'll get to heaven the same way everybody else does. If you're a sincere Muslim or a sincere Jew, you you just you just be be real about your you know understanding of God and and it's all good. You're going to get to heaven just like anybody else. Um, that's not what this passage is teaching. Uh, because if that were true, God wouldn't need to send Peter. In fact, it would probably be a bad thing if He sent Peter because He should have just left Cornelius alone, and then He would make it to heaven on His own, right? And so what you see here is that the gospel is necessary for salvation. That's why we send missionaries. That's why we do mission work is because people may be sincere, but you have to have the gospel in order to be saved. What was going on here is Cornelius is responding to the light he's given. Romans 1 tells us that all men, doesn't matter who you are, whether you're here in West Tennessee, whether you're running butt naked in the jungle in South America somewhere, uh, you have been given the light of Christ. Creation. You know inherently that there is a God. You can't look at the trees and the mountains and the sky and say, "Wow, this just all happened by chance." You know that that's not uh, that's that's not feasible. All men have the knowledge of God in them because God has revealed it to him by the things that are made. That's Romans one twenty, I think. It's right in there somewhere. And so all men have that light that is given to him. Here's the important part: if you respond, if a person that's in the jungle somewhere has never had any outside contact responds to that light responds and says you know what I know there was God there's a story about a missionary that uh, tells the story in uh, the some ch- tribe in Malaysia somewhere uh, the the chief was they were they had these little wooden gods that they make and they kept you know rotten and falling over and all these things and they had to make more and finally the chief said this is an actual story that a missionary told uh, finally the chief of this tribe says you know what our gods really aren't that powerful because they keep rotten and they keep falling over and they keep getting messed up and we have to remake them our hands are actually more powerful than our God he said there's got to be a God somewhere that is all powerful and more powerful than these guys. Let's just worship him. And for 25 years, this tribe worshiped this God. They had no clue who it was, just God out there until missionaries came and told them about Christ and revealed that to them and they accepted Christ. And and so all men have the knowledge of God. Some may suppress it. That's what Romans 1 says. So you meet an atheist, whatever, they're suppressing that knowledge of God. If they respond to that light, then they also have a light of conscience that's given to them. You know right and wrong. You know what's right and wrong. A guy who's never been raised in church, never, you know, been raised around whatever, they have a conscience that tells them what is right and what is wrong. If they respond to that light, then God will give them the light of Christ. God will give them. See, Cornelius understood. He he knew that there was a God. He knew that God was real and he responded to this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was responding to the light that he had and God provided him a way supernaturally as it as it were to hear the gospel and to be able to respond to the gospel does that make sense so what you see here is that he wasn't he wasn't saved he wasn't uh earning uh, uh an opportunity to hear the gospel because he was such a good man what it's showing us here is that he was now in the same place that all the jews were 
He was doing all he could do, but he still needed a savior. See what I mean? Uh, before the the Jews would have spurned the Gentiles, they they're just heathen. They don't you know they're just out there. We don't have to worry about them. We're the Jewish people. We're the ones who are doing the law. We're the ones who are keeping God's word. All that kind of stuff. He's showing us <clears throat> that Cornelius is <clears throat> pretty much as Jewish as a Gentile could possibly be. Does that make sense? Inevitably, you'll hear eventually someone use this passage to say, you know, that if you're just good and you do the best you can, God's going to be fine. Look at Cornelius. I mean, he was given alms and he prayed and he was a good man and God blessed him. God. But that's not what the passage teaches. Peter says in the very next chapter, God told him that Peter's going to come and Peter's going to tell you the words by which you will be saved with your whole household. Okay, everybody understand? All right, so what Cornelius does is he sends a soldier and two slaves. Now, what's amazing to me is in verse 7 and 8, it says, it says, And when the angel which spoke to Cornelius departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier. This was another soldier who was also a God-fearer. And to have two in the same place is, is pretty amazing, if you know anything about Roman soldiers. But, and it says, Of them that waited on him continually, they were his servants. And when he had declared, all these things unto them, he sent them, he sent them to Joppa. Joppa was about 37 miles south of Caesarea, right there on the, right there on the coast of, um, of Palestine by the Mediterranean. And so they sent them to that. Now, right here, the scene changes. And instead of Cornelius, we're going to talk about Peter. At the same time, the same time Cornelius was getting these vision and all this kind of thing, uh, uh, Peter was also receiving a vision. This is probably as far as we're going to get. So let's concentrate on, on this. Any questions so far? No? I must be doing a good job. So verse 9 says, On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up to the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. When's the sixth hour? Noon. Yeah, y'all go. You must have study notes in your Bible. I do. I cheated on that. <laughs> yeah, noon is the sixth hour. So it's lunchtime. Lunchtime, he goes up to pray. All the houses there were flat, you know, so you'd go up. There was no air conditioning, so it was a cool place. It was right there by the sea. So you can imagine he's going up to the rooftop to look out over the sea and pray and, and all those kind of things. And so it was almost lunchtime. It says, and he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, while they were making his food, he fell into a trance. And we're not told exactly what it means to fall into a trance, but he's given a vision by God. He's, he's spoken to by God. And he says... <clears throat> He says he saw uh, he saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending unto him. The reason why the word says vessel is because it's the same word that's translated ship or boat in, in other places. What he saw was it was like a sail, like a sheet, but it was in the form of of. I mean, it, it's almost reminiscent of Noah's Ark to me, because he he lets the he lets this 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 veil down, this sheet, this sail, this this 
shaped like a vessel thing. And on this is all these animals. It's all these different kinds of animals. It says, And he saw heaven open certain vessel descending unto him, and as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners, and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, fowls of the air, all these different kinds of animals. And then God speaks to God speaks to Peter, and he says, Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. This is where I wish Valerie was in here, Miss Vegetarian. Because this is a command from God. Kill and eat. <laughs> Take these animals and kill them and eat them. We are commanded. No, not really. But anyway, he was saying, he was saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter is looking at now, you got to understand the context. For us, it would be like, woo, sausage, you know, let's go right ahead. For Peter, this was this goes against everything that he had ever been taught, everything that he was raised, everything that he had, think about this, that he's read before in Scripture. Uh, Leviticus 11 uh, is a whole huge list of animals that you're not allowed to eat if you're a Jewish man. Uh, animals that are unclean for you to eat. Um, just to break it down real quick, uh, I'm, it was if if you were if it was a land animal, it had to chew the cud and have cloven hoofs. You could eat it. If it was a sea animal, it had to have both fins and scales. If it didn't have fins and scales, you couldn't eat it. No lobster, no shrimp, no crab, no nothing like that. Had to have fins and scales. If it was an insect, you could only eat it if it had jointed legs that could hop. All that's in Leviticus 11. You can go look it up. So you can eat locusts and grasshoppers and all that kind of stuff. If that's your thing, hey, more power to you. Not me. And if it was a bird of prey, like a hawk or an eagle, uh, a reptile, or anything that crawled on the ground, it's off limits. Off limits. You couldn't eat none of that stuff. And so Peter was raised in these food laws. And these food laws were uh, binding on Israel. And uh, go ahead and put this to bed. The Leviticus 11, I think it's 44, 45, it says why they were given these food laws. It was to be holy before the Lord. It was to separate them from all the people that lived around them. They were to be a, a particular people, a chosen race, and this by, by abiding by these food laws, it would separate them. They would be distinguished as God's chosen people from all the people around them. It didn't have nothing to do with diet. It didn't have nothing to do with nutrition and all this. So if you you see all them books about God's diet plan and all that. You can just use them for kindling when it gets cold. It's not, all that's nonsense. It didn't have nothing to do with that. It was all about separating them from the people that were around them. It's about holiness. And so when all these animals let down on this sheet, Peter's looking at all these things, these creeping things. Uh, there were reptiles on this sheet. You know, that's what the, the crawling things, that's what the word means. And so God says, all right, right up, Peter. Peter's hungry, remember? It's time to eat. He's hungry. He says, okay, Peter, rise up and eat. Peter's like, uh-uh. I'm not eating none of that stuff. He said, what did he say? He said, uh, where am I at? Oh, 14 said, but Peter said, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And here's the point of the vision. Verse 15 says, and the voice spake unto him again a second time. And this is what he said. He says, what God hath cleansed thou, that, that call not thou uncommon. Don't call unclean what I have made clean. Then it says, this was done thrice, three times, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. So, three times, Peter argues with God. 
Three times God says, all right, the sheet comes down, all these animals, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter's like, I, I'm not eating that. That's unclean. I, that's uh, unholy. I can't eat those things. God says, don't call unclean what I've made clean. And then it happens again. All right, Peter, rise and eat. No, nah, God, I can't eat. I'm not eating that. That's unclean. Peter, don't call unclean what I've made clean. And then a third time, rise and eat. I, I, I just can't. I just can't eat that. That's unclean. Don't call unclean what I've made clean. Three times he's told, don't call unclean what I've made clean. Now, <clears throat> what we're going to see is the vision is not just about food. Peter's going to, uh, Peter's going to interpret the vision to be about people. See, God's setting Peter up to go to Cornelius' house, right? Cornelius is Gentile. Jews were not allowed to travel with Gentiles. They were not allowed to eat with Gentiles. They were not ever, ever, ever allowed to go into a Gentile's house. By doing so, you would defile yourself. You'd be unclean. You'd have to do this uh, seven-day ritual to purify yourself so you'd be able to go back into the temple and worship God. And so what he's showing him here is that the distinction between clean and unclean no longer holds. So when somebody asks you, you know, you've heard the thing, I've seen signs about, you know, people are uh, protesting, you know, why homosexuality is wrong or something. And they'll always hold up a sign saying, well, y'all better not eat shrimp either. You know, uh, that really doesn't take the whole Bible into account because God told us that shrimp are now clean. And thank goodness, because I do love shrimp. God has told us there is no food now that is unclean. There is no distinction between clean and unclean food. There is no distinction between clean and unclean people. Now, the reason, guys, any questions, any comments? All y'all like shrimp, lobster? Yeah, okay, good. I do too. Uh, the reason why this distinction's gone is not to say that there's nothing immoral anymore. What it is doing, what he's doing here, this is just me thinking out loud. What he's doing is here, he's taking away this superficial distinction so the real distinction can show forth. You see, now it's not a matter of, well, I'm Jewish, I'm part of the people of God, and you're Gentile, you're a heathen, so you really can't. It's not a matter of that anymore. Now it's a matter of the heart. The heart is unholy. The heart is immoral. The heart is unclean. And that has to be dealt with. No longer is it just on the surface. You know, Jews good, Gentiles bad. You know, this food good, that food bad. No longer is it that way. Now it's a matter of inside. This Gentile is unclean, not because he's a Gentile. He's unclean because he's not submitted his heart to God. Uh, this Jewish man. Remember, up until, up until uh, Acts chapter 7, only Jewish people were part of the church. So up until that point, they were getting preached at. They, the whole, you, we went through Peter's sermons over and over again, three or four of them, and the crux of his sermon was always, don't say that you're God's people just because you're a Jewish person. Doesn't work that way. You have to be in Jesus Christ. You have to submit to him, trust in him. That distinction of Jew and Gentile is broken down. It's gone. There is no Jew, no Gentile, no slave, no free, no male, no female in Christ. You're either in Christ or you are not in Christ. And that's the only distinction that matters anymore. Okay, everybody understand that? The The food law wasn't taken away just because, hey, you know, it's some really good stuff. I didn't realize how good it tasted. So we're just going to do away with that. 
and we're going to all eat and have fun. That's not what was going on here. What was going on here is God is revealing the true distinction between holy and unholy by taking away the false distinction of clean and unclean. Does that make sense? That's a little confusing. Any questions? So feel free to make me a big lobster dinner. I will eat it. I'll have no qualms against that. I have a question. Okay. Or looking for some insight. On the three times that God tells Peter, you know, that eat, it's, and Peter's like, no, I'm in love. He already calls him Lord. I mean, he, like he recognizes this is a God thing going on, right? Yeah. And, 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 he's, and he's struggling with the whole idea, and he's refusing God in a sense. Definitely. He's saying no. And my, my thinking is just me thinking, maybe Peter's thinking God's testing him. That's very well possible. You know, he's testing him to see if he's going to be obedient. Right, and and then he because because you see this, he, he after it's over with, you know, he doubted in himself what this was really all about. Right, he was puzzled, which is weird to me because I mean he told you three times, so he. It, but he did understand. We'll see that as soon as the vision ended in the providence of God, here come Cornelius' men knocking on the front door. And so he understood that uh, the Holy Spirit actually had to talk to him again. Let's read it and I'll show you what I mean. The Holy Spirit actually had to talk to him again. He says, it says, uh, where am I at? 17. 17. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision, which he had seen, should mean, after three times, Peter, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon... Uh, for Simon's house and stood before the gate. They were right there at the front door and called and asked where Simon was, surnamed Peter, was lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, it says, the spirit said unto him, behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing. Literally, it says, without making a distinction. Go with them doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Now, here is the, I mean, the Spirit comes to him again, and no trance this time. He just speaks, the Spirit speaks to him and says, three men are looking for you. I sent them. Go with them without making a distinction. Now, that's going to be a test of Peter's, uh, Peter's obedience, because you're not allowed to travel with Gentiles, because you're not allowed to be in contact with them. You're not allowed to go to their house. You're not allowed to eat with them. More than likely, if you were going to accompany the Gentile to some place, you Peter would have said, "Okay, you guys go ahead. I'm going to follow behind you, and I'll meet you there. You know, whatever." But you weren't allowed to do this. But the Spirit is expressly telling Peter, "You go with them, and you go with them without making a distinction, without making a distinction between them and us. You go without doubting whether you ought to go, or whether they're clean or unclean, or whether you're going to be clean or unclean. You go with them without doubting any of that. And if you look down, if you skip down just real quick to verse 28." Uh, Peter, he, he makes a little speech when he enters Cornelius' house. He says, and he said unto them, we're skipping some stuff. We'll go back and get it. But it says, he, when he entered Cornelius' house, it says, and he said to them, ye know how it is unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come unto one, uh, one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So he, he, he interpreted the vision after the Spirit spoke to him 
them again as this is not just about food. This is about people. I should not. The vision that God told me was I should not call any man, any person clean or common, common or unclean. Common means defiled, defiled or unclean. And so he went with them without distinction. God showed up and told him, you must go without doubting. Uh, It was a big test. And I want you to see just how powerful the tradition that Peter was raised in uh, was. I mean, for us, it almost seems like a no-brainer. Oh, God, you, you, you want me to lay aside the food laws? No problem. Let's go, you know? I mean, that's not a big deal for us. But for him, it was a huge deal. It was something he struggled with the rest of his life. I mean, if you read, when we went through Galatians, you remember when Galatians 2, Peter fell back into that tradition, didn't he? Of pulling away from the Gentiles and eating with the Jews. And Paul had to call him on it. Paul got in his face right in front of everybody and said, look, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're not living according to the gospel here. So so you can see that Peter, uh, Peter struggled with this, you know, Jew-Gentile distinction for probably the rest of his life. This was something that was ingrained in him. Uh, that's one of the things that we uh, have, have trouble with. If it's something that we're just raised with, something that we've always known, something that we've always been taught, it's hard to let that go. It's hard to, it's hard to change that. Even when you know that you're supposed to, even when you know that God commands it, You say, yes, Lord, you are right. I'm not going to do that anymore. And then you find yourself just easing back into that tradition, easing back into that deal. And it's also hard for us to accept other people that have a different tradition, that have a different way of looking at things. It's hard for us to say, you know, if you want to be a Christian, you got to look like me and talk like me and act like me and think the same things I think about this and that. And it's just not that way. It's not that way. There are things that you must agree with. You must agree that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died on the cross, born of a virgin, you know, all those things. If those things are definitional to Christianity, you don't believe those, you're not a Christian. But there are other things, you know, should a dude have earrings? You know, should should we get tattoos? Should we get... There are other things that you, we may not agree on and they're not really part of our, our thing. You know, uh, if you... That was one of the biggest problems with missions in the 1800s and then even early 1900s was the missionaries would go off to these other countries and they would preach Christ and people would be converted and all of a sudden they would tell them, okay, now that you're a Christian you got to dress like me, you know, you got to dress like a European, you know, and you got to do all these things and and the reality was that that's not, excuse me that that's not so and so Peter struggled with this, what do you mean shrimp is no longer unclean you know, can you imagine Peter eating his first shrimp You know, it's like, I've always been told this is wrong. I've always grown up knowing this is wrong. I've always... And all of a sudden, God reveals, no, it's not wrong. It was used by me to distinguish you from other people. And now there is no distinction. All the whole world is coming to me. And the only distinction there is, is you are either in Christ or you are not in Christ. Make sense? I got a question. Okay, go ahead. What was the distinction between Paul and, and Peter's background that, that Paul didn't have that issue, but Peter did? Is there any? Well, Paul was... Paul was... Uh, he was Jewish, but he was also a Gentile. He was a Roman citizen. 
And he was raised in Jerusalem, but he was born in Tarsus. And so his, his, while his nationality, his lineage, I guess, would have been Jewish, he was, he was raised in Gentile education. He knew about the, the you know, uh, Greek learning and all those kind of things. He knew all those kind of things. And so when God, when God knocked him off his horse or knocked him off his donkey, remember we said it may not have been a donkey, but when God changed his heart and, uh, and, uh, and converted him, he specifically gave him the task of being the apostle to the Gentiles, being the one that would go to the Gentiles. And so if, if, there, if the distinction came back and Paul, Paul was, we're going to see in Acts chapter 15, Paul became a Jew to minister to the Jews. Not really became a Jew, but he acted Jewish to convert the Jews. And he acted as a Gentile, ate with Gentiles to convert the Gentiles. Whatever, whoever he was with, he came. Uh, I think the distinction is, other than the fact that Paul just understood the gospel, uh, didn't have that tradition, you know, and I'm just kind of guessing about that. But the distinction is... I'm thinking is going to be the way Paul, Paul didn't carry the tradition the way that Peter did. Does that make sense? Before Peter came to Christ and began his journey with Christ, he's a fisherman. You know, he was raised in, uh, you know, uh, the only education he ever had was probably synagogue school. Whereas Paul was educated from a little boy in the Greek learning and the Hellenistic culture and, you know, Plato and Aristotle and all those kind of things. He had all of that as well as the, the Jewish centered uh, education. Does that make sense? So he was able to draw. That's what made him the perfect apostle for the Gentiles because he could say, you know, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees and I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, but he was also from Tarsus. He was also a Roman citizen, which was entitled him privileges. He was kind of from both worlds. Does that make sense? So he was kind of a perfect bridge between the two worlds, whereas Peter was just Jewish. Does that make sense? Okay. And all that is just conjecture. I mean, I don't really know. I can't, you know, I don't read... Uh, I don't read Paul's mind or anything. That's just kind of what I'm thinking. Okay, so verse, we're probably not going to get much further than this, but verse uh, 21 says, go down with them. 21 says, Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom you seek. What is the cause wherefore you are come? Why are you here? Verse 22 says, And they said, Cornelius, the center in a just man and one that feareth God and of good report among the nation of the Jews was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear the words of thee. So what does he tell him? He tells him, God told Cornelius to send for you and that you would have a message for Cornelius. Immediately, what do you think goes through Peter's mind? What's the message? What's the message that he's going to give him? The gospel. Yeah. And so all of this stuff in the providence of God. Y'all know what providence is? Providence of God? Like... Um, like a fortuitous event. Like, you get up one morning, oh, I got a perfect one. I got a perfect one. Dana's in Chicago. And she was sent to Chicago on business. And she's supposed to leave airplane 
leaves at 6.30 in Nashville. So they leave and uh, traffic's backed up on the interstate. So they get they can't get to they can't get there in time, and so this was uh, Friday, and and so they had to take all these detours. By, by the time they got to the airport, they couldn't couldn't get on the plane. I mean, they were early enough to get on the plane, but you know you got to go through all the security and all that mess, and so they couldn't get on the plane. So they had to take a, a flight that left four hours later, and it lays over in St. Louis, and then lays over somewhere, and it was just awful. It was terrible, and so she's telling me all this. And it turns out that on the flight from St. Louis to Chicago, there was uh, a lady that had some breathing trouble or something and they needed a nurse and Dana's on the flight. And so Dana goes into nursing mode. Not only that, but as she's sitting there trying to help the lady, she says, well, where are you from? And, you know, just talking to her, the lady says, well, I'm from a little town in West Tennessee between Memphis and Jackson. And Dana said, really? What's the name of the town? And she says, Brownsville. (laughs) (laughs) This lady is going to be... Uh, a Jaycox, Debbie Jaycox's aunties, cousins, whatever, you know, related to her. And so Dana missed the flight, but in the providence of God, she was on this flight to be able to help this lady who was from the same hometown that she was. That's what providence is. God worked it all out so that she would be in the right place at the right time for the right reason. And that's what he did with Cornelius. The vision ends. He doesn't really quite understand the distinction. Why is the food distinction gone? And then all of a sudden, here comes a knock on the door. Hey, hey, Peter, there's three dudes down there. You need to go with them. I've sent them. Go with them. They're going to they're gonna tell you what they need to do. And he says, so why have you sent me? He said, Cornelius, our, our, our master, is, has been warned by God, been told by the Spirit of God, an angel of God has come to him, and he said to send for you because you are going to have a message. We don't know what the message is, but you're going to have a message that Cornelius and his household needs to hear. And so right then, I think, and I'm just thinking out loud, it's not Bible, but I think right then it clicked. Peter says, the gospel. I'm going to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And so we're going to see as we go, we'll we'll finish the chapter next week, but we're going to see as we go that... uh, Peter's still a little hesitant, you know. You know, he's God told him what to do. The men right here told him what he needed to do, what God had told Cornelius he needed to do. And then when he gets to Cornelius' house, he's going to ask again. He's going to say, "Cornelius, uh, what you what you send for me for?" It's like we done told you three times, man. You know, and we're going to see him hesitant about all this. And when he finally does, you know, the, they're going to be saved. And then. In chapter 11, he's going to have to go and explain his actions to the Jerusalem brethren. And they're not going to be happy. And uh, it, it's pretty funny. He seems hesitant to, uh, to, to include all the details when he, when he does that. But look right here, verse 23, and we'll quit. It says, Then called Peter, not no fool. He said, Then called he them in and lodged with them. He brought them in. Which was a wow moment right then. They weren't allowed. Jews would be unclean if they let Gentiles in. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them and certain brethren from Joppa accompanying him. Peter ain't going, I ain't going by myself. And we're going to see in chapter 11, verse 12, he's going to say it's six of them. 
Peter says, okay, I'm going to a Gentile's house. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. Y'all coming with me. I ain't going by myself. Now forget that. And this is going to be really important. These guys are going to be witnesses as to what God's doing in the Gentiles. And this chapter, chapter 10 and chapter 11, are going to just kick the door in for the gospel to go the whole world. And after, after this section, uh, we're going to start looking at Paul and we're going to start looking at his travels all over the Roman world. Uh, sharing the gospel and seeing people converted. The main thing I want you to see, I know we didn't get to, we're going to get to the Gentile Pentecost. They're going to, you know, be saved in the next part of this chapter. We didn't get to all that today. The main thing I wanted you to see today is that Cornelius was not saved because he was a good guy and gave alms and prayed. He still needed Peter to come and preach the gospel to him. Uh, he was not, this is not a work salvation thing. This is not anywhere even close to that. Uh, he needed the gospel to come and be preached to him. And I also needed you to see that this is the section of scripture where all of that stuff about this food and that food is taken out of the way. So whenever somebody brings up, well, it also says in Leviticus that you're not allowed to eat pigs and all that kind of, whenever somebody brings that up to, to, uh, to kind of justify immoral behavior. Well, if you believe that you can't do this, well, then you must not be eating shrimp either. You know, whenever somebody brings that up, you know, we have warrant that that has been taken out. All the food laws have been taken out of the way by God himself. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. No vegetarians. Kill and eat. Okay. Everybody understand? Is there any questions? Okay. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you make no distinction anymore. That if uh, God, uh, anyone can come, no matter whether they're slave, free, no matter what kind of life they lived, what kind of past they have. Father, you make no distinction anymore that you would accept all in Christ Jesus. Those who would come and hear the gospel, they come respond to that gospel and to trust in you that uh, they would be saved. And we thank you for that. Lord, we ask that you would take this word, help us to understand that the things that you have made clean, we should not call unclean. The people that you have made clean, all of us are made in your image and there is no inherently unclean person except the person who refuses to give his life to Christ. That's the only distinction that's made today. Lord, we thank you for that and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.